0: Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. This is your host, Brandon Laws. Today I'm with Tyler Mavis, and he is back with me for another book club discussion. Yes. Good to have you back, Tyler. Yeah, uh, Good to be back. So every time we read a book at the Zenian Book Club, and if you haven't been a loyal listener like a lot of you have, go back and listen to some of those podcasts and read our reviews on on the books. But we basically get together, and there's anywhere between 10 and 20 of us that have a discussion on, on these books that we read. And this time we read a book called Originals, and it's by an author named Adam Grant. It's about, what do you say, about 250 pages or so? Yeah, it's so? about 250. It's a, it's yeah. a, but it's a dense book. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of data a lot of stories A lot of stories which is nice yeah yeah this is a kind of book that there's not a lot of like subheadings and things like that where you have some breaks in between (laughs) some of this but so it's i mean it's It's wordy deep read yeah so if you're going to sum it up in kind of a quick little synopsis for for somebody who doesn't know what this book is all about i mean the title is pretty intuitive but what what is this book about
1: Uh, you know i kind of mentioned this earlier too but i always kind of think back to the apple motto you know think differently and it's kind of kind of sums it up Pretty much perfect for me, uh, at least. Is I, you know, you know, thinking outside the box, thinking differently from others, and not being privy to that group thing. Those are the innovators. Those are the ones that have these creative ideas that can uh, change the world, and so to speak. So I think being creative and thinking outside the norm and the status quo.
0: In the book, Adam Grant talked a lot about taking risks and mm-hmm. how we all, a lot of times associate innovative, creative thinkers, you know, like the Steve Jobs of the world, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Bill Gates, Gandhi, people who take radical risks in their lives and he kind of makes the case that you know some people like that do and they're very well known for it but then on the other side of it, some people are original thinkers but they, they take minimal risks to, yeah. to achieve and he gave the example of Warby Parker, the, the glasses company, yeah. online shopping basically and he, he talked about how he had a chance to invest in this company and you talk a little bit about that because I didn't you find it interesting?
1: Yeah, so I mean obviously the, the there's one glasses giant, I can't remember, that like Lux Audic or whatever, yeah. it was a glasses company that kind of cornered the market on on glasses and they were, they were so expensive to buy and, you know, these students were like, well, I, you know, have these glasses that are so old and, you know, being held together by paper clips and they were like, there's got to be a better way that we can't pay this yeah. amount of money for glasses. They should be cheaper. So they come up with this idea to, you know, sell them online for a, a lower cost and see if it, it, it would gain some traction in which it did. It was it did. a very, people wanted that convenience and wanted that being able to purchase a low-cost option for glasses and not have to worry about paying 500 bucks for glasses repair. Yeah,
0: but the interesting thing is like, so Adam Grant yeah. had a chance to invest in this company, but he he was concerned that the founders of the company weren't fully, I mean, they were fully committed in the sense that they they loved their idea, they wanted to see it through, but they were all still either in school or had yeah. other jobs, and this is sort of a side project, so they weren't like fully committed, so it's yeah. like, I, I as an investor, it scared him a little bit. Yeah.
1: And, and right, like so. I mean, if you see something that you feel like, oh, well, maybe they're not as mature in this process as he would like. But it is taking that risk and seeing you know, what, if their idea is original and if their idea is a way to break into a market that wouldn't, you wouldn't normally think to yeah. you know associate with that.
0: So that's a miss on the author's part. Yeah. But there, he gives tons of examples of other misses as well both on the side where they thought it was such an original idea and then it failed. And one where it's like you just passed up. I have two examples for you. So Steve Jobs wanted to invest... $63 $63 million in Segway, which is yeah. the, the, I don't know how to describe Motorized it exactly. Scooter. Motorized scooter. Yeah. yeah, like it balances yeah. perfectly. But as we know, it was a big flop. And I think yep. it was more of like probably a transportation issue or just, you know, sidewalks are yeah. probably conducive to those. But Steve Jobs, one of the best thinkers of our time, wanted to invest a lot of money. And he was almost all in on it. And I can't remember what ended up happening with that or if he backed out or other people didn't want to invest in it. I think it, but the investors were kind of all over the place. yeah so that was an example where steve jobs had a gut instinct that this was going to be the next big thing and he was wrong the other story that resonated with me i thought was on the other side of the spectrum of nbc executives at the time seinfeld was being developed into a pilot and had like an order of four episodes it tested so poorly with focus groups and i think they were ready to pull the plug it sounded like this is so different they didn't it was Boring. It was a show about About nothing. nothing. And I think that was... That was what even if I describe it now, it's basically a show about nothing. But it was—it's so different, and it's punchy and it's funny the entire time. But focus groups didn't see it that way, and so it's funny how you can go through so much analysis and focus and and still get wrong, get these wrong.
1: Yeah. And it, it's interesting too because I mean it kind of goes to like the whole: do you bet on the idea or do you bet on the people that have the idea? So mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of like you know with Adam Grant, you know, not taking his you know the chance to invest in Warby Parker. It's you know maybe. He, he, re- he thought that you know this idea is good, but I'm just not willing to bet on you guys yet, or invest on yeah. you guys yet. And same thing with uh, you know the NBC executive Seinfeld. I mean, this relatively unknown comedian had this idea for a show about nothing. Idea, eh? Okay, do we bet on do we bet on this no name comedian starting like a revolutionary culture? phenomenon. And so, I mean, you take those calculator risks, weigh the pros and cons, and see which one could be best. But it's also kind of go back to, do I bet on this person?
0: I think you're so right about that. There was another story that was, it was very much like that, where this CIA analyst, mm-hmm. I don't remember how long ago this was. It sounds like it was pre-computers or maybe yeah. computers started coming out. But the information exchange between agents and analysts or whatever was so fragmented and she saw an opportunity to streamline it either through like a company internet yeah, or internet. Some, yeah. something like that. Internet, yeah. yeah, like a social network to share information mm-hmm. because they would they would have these cases that would drag out forever. Whereas mm-hmm. it's like if somebody just had access to the right information, yeah, then it, it would probably be be streamlined and cases would be solved faster so what ended up happening in the story was that she was at such a low level that she was so harsh about bringing her fresh original ideas to the table that people thought she was crazy yeah people didn't take her seriously because your point about investing in the person was she had no credibility at this point she's so new in her career an unknown but she decided after her ideas weren't taking hold to sort of stay silent on it until she worked out through the ranks and she might've become like a director at some point. And then she brought, the idea up subtly and it caught hold yeah so your point i think is right especially in this story about you have credibility your original ideas that may seem out of control or far-reaching or off the wall if you're new in your career or you just don't have credibility they will seem crazy yeah
1: yeah no it's true it's very true i think yeah you have to build that up and have that kind of not necessarily respect but yeah the credibility aspect is People trust in you then, and believe in what you're what you're doing because you're in a position of power, essentially.
0: Well, so how do you, how do you, as creative individual with unique ideas, how do you put forth ideas that don't seem so crazy at, at first? You
1: know, I think it comes back to the culture of you know wherever organization you're in, what other company you're in. If, if the culture is open and challenges people to put forth new ideas or creative ideas and think outside the box, then I think it comes a little bit more, a little bit easier. Other than that, if you have a more restrictive culture, you might have to work your way up through the ranks and it's maybe a slow process and you're not going to be Making a lot of changes right away, but it's uh, the procrastination, the, the waiting for your time to come.
0: Yeah, and it's funny that you say the procrastination part because there was something in the book that I just, I saw it and I'm like, wow, I never thought about it that way. So in I guess in ancient Egypt, procrastination had two meanings. One was laziness, which I think most of us probably with associate it. with mm-hmm. it. The other meant waiting for the right time. Yeah. I like that one better because it doesn't have a negative connotation Mm -hmm. to it. It just means you're just patiently waiting for the right time. Because if you think about, I always go back to college with this, like, okay, you've got to write an essay or a paper do i waited till the last minute i procrastinated yeah. but maybe i was waiting for the right inspiration maybe i was waiting for the the fire to be lit underneath me and then that sparked new ideas i mean I think that form of procrastination actually makes sense yeah so you talk about the environment that makes yeah. a lot of sense too
1: yeah i think when you have something that is going to be able to drive you you know yourself more than you know better than anybody else and you know what you need to do if you're if there's a project you need to do, you need done or whatnot if there's like you know paper you need to write when the timing is right for you personally to get that creative inspiration that that muse so to speak to do whatever you need to do on that project so i think it's kind of as long as you're you have that idea or that topic in mind throughout the process i think waiting for the right time to, that catalyst to start i think that that's fine i, I like that better than the the laziness aspect of it
0: the chapter about first movers is also interesting it ties in nicely with the procrastination point and it was saying that being a first mover in business isn't always the best or coming up with that first idea isn't always the best because you're gonna probably hit some bumps in the road yeah quite a bit but if you're second or third you may have coming at a time where the right time where you saw the issues and then you were able to basically iterate based on all those failures and make it even better so
1: you got that it was the magnavox odyssey uh in the book and versus the you know nintendo system so you know the magnavox came out they're the first to the market with the video game console and then Nintendo came out, they refined what the negatives were and the positive as well of the console and then they made that system, that gaming system it turned out to be a huge success it's still around today.
0: Going back to just some of the more brilliant original minds, I, I thought the story about Martin Luther King Jr. was a pretty interesting mm-hmm. one about the I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that because we talked about that as a group and it's it's fascinating to how it actually came to fruition. Yeah,
1: so, yeah, so when Martin Luther King was going to be speaking you know in Washington he was up all night the night before just dreading right trying to find this the right words the speech and at the time he was trying to think of you know what he needed to say and how he needed to say it but he really wasn't utilizing that time to be like oh well what am I going to be saying in the moment? If it comes more fluid, and then sure enough, when he gave him the speech, you know, he had to be kind of reminded by, you know, now it's the high of the dream part, and it kind of more fluid as kind of off the cuff type of speech he gave. So it wasn't really structured the way he wanted to, because I think it flowed a little bit better in the moment.
0: Well, I think he probably was feeding off the energy feeding of the crowd the too, so the atmosphere. Like, yeah, you could just see people getting pumped up about what he's saying, and he probably just wanted to keep building on that. Yeah, and so the speech he wrote and stayed up all night for wasn't the same. and yeah. and I think when you when you're talking about being creative and original, I think you sort of have to take it in the moment, don't mm-hmm. you? Yeah, I don't think you can script your life and still be creative at the same time. No, it doesn't seem that that's how it I works. Think
1: creativity kind of blossoms from a lot of the things that spontaneous and. Yeah. And spur of the moment that you don't really realize and you can capture. I mean, especially if you look at famous photographers, they don't can't they can't just say, I'm gonna go take a picture of something and have that be, you know, inspirational. You know, it's usually it comes across to them, the moment happens and they are able to capture that moment. So I think, you know, those are the creative photographers or artistic people as well. You know, you can't just like, I'm gonna go paint this perfect picture this one day because I know what's gonna be like. You have no idea what it's gonna be like, what it's gonna look like.
0: We were actually talking about on the heels of the Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech. We, you were talking about speech class and and your experience with that. And it's like, gosh, it'd be over script. Sometimes it's just a it handicaps you a little bit because you have this plan in your mind. And if you know it so well, you're not going to veer off script. Whereas yeah. if you, in the moment you were able to sort of change course, you, you wouldn't have the ability to do that.
1: Yeah. I think the candid nature comes across a lot better to audiences too. And if, especially if you're doing speeches and, you know, you want to be a little bit more interactive, a little bit more friendlier and not that monotone robotic. i um, following the script and reading off of a a paper. So, you know, with the speech class instance, I would kind of go into a speech class knowing what I wanted to talk about, but having some pieces of it that I can just kind of go off in the moment.
0: When I pose the question about TED Talks, I've, I've been so curious about if, yeah. if those are completely scripted by most of the people or if it's just sort of like they know what they're going to talk about. They have a time frame and they just kind of look at the clock as it's ticking down and then they just kind of shoot from that. I'm very curious because some of those are very good. yeah. And it's like, do they just know the subject matter so much to where they just wing it or do they literally know their every word of the speech?
1: Yeah, I think it might be even a combination of both. But it definitely, they, the way a lot of those TED Talk speakers are, they are very, fluid in their, their approach. And it, it almost seems like they just kind of kind of go off in the moment and they can talk about the, the subject and they kind of utilize the audience more.
0: Being in HR and supporting employers, we talk about culture, company culture quite a bit. I think in this book, he framed up cultures of commitment in a way that I hadn't really thought of before, but I could see some issues coming from it. So here's what I got from it. You define your culture so much to where you have people that probably think similarly, they like the same things, they like each other, they're You know, you have values and belief systems that are very much aligned. And that's a great thing. But the big but is, do you end up having any diverse ideas and experiences? Do you bring in people that are a little different than you and have contradicting ideas, even if they're wrong and totally off the cuff? compared to what you're normally used to thinking about is cultures of commitment and hiring people that are exactly like each other. Is that a good thing or not?
1: You know, in, in my opinion, I don't think it is. I think mean, I think there are certain principles that your company and your company's culture can be founded on and, and utilized, which are good. But I think you need that diversity. You need that difference of opinion to kind of spark new ideas and spark creative you know, ways to go about your business. So, I mean, I think you need to include that and not just kind of structure everybody to be the same the same way
0: want to go further on this because I think as you have people that like each other and have deep relationships, you don't have a regular conflict in the organization yeah. mm-hmm. and, and encourage conflict to happen. Then you could have the confirmation bias. You could have conformity. You can have group think all, you know, all those yeah. buzzwords. There was one example in here that I thought was interesting. There was an experiment done where there was one line off to the side, just a straight vertical line. Um, and that was like the test line. Then the other, I think there was three lines, A, B, and they're labeled A, B, and C. One of the lines matched up the kind of the test model line. And so there were seven people in the experiment. The first four automatically chose the wrong one. That was by design. And then they wanted to see what the fifth, sixth, and seventh person would do. They said 33% of the time, even though they knew the line was wrong, they conformed to what the first four people did out of fear that they would be called out or that they're just not going to follow what everybody else already believes, even though it was wrong. And they said they did the same experiment with these people solo and they virtually never got it wrong so if that in itself doesn't tell you how dangerous the group think yeah. or social pressures can be I yeah. don't I don't know what else can because no I mean, I agree. we all feel it every once I in a while agree
1: got it as a company you got to have that that value openness and sincerity and be honestly about you know certain things and I think that's kind of can help Dieter you know that group think that can be detrimental to a company if everybody starts going one way and starts thinking the same way no one's voicing a, a, a dissenting opinion
0: dissenting opinion he, there's a section that he talked about uh, dissenting opinions and how they can be good meaning have, basically having somebody on the other side playing devil's advocate I guess yeah. or just just having a different opinion and yeah. regardless of that person's right or wrong it doesn't really matter the point is it slows the process down versus everybody just said yes and moved along and went to the next thing somebody with a different opinion might cause everybody to pause and say, is this right? Is there a different way to do this? Is, you know, what's the strategy? And even if it's wrong, it opens up people's minds because it gets you to think about the other side and what the possibilities are.
1: And I was reading something, I I can't remember the company, but they had every meeting they have, they would have at least one person come into it being the dissenting opinion, being the opposite. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah.
1: And so it you know, allows you to kind of view the other side and how, how we can work with that opinion. And, and you know, not because everybody's not going to be viewing the same thing all the time. So there's always going to be difference of opinions So I think that creates, you know, having that dissenting opinion, even if it was just by design, it allows your creativity to think more on what that side has going for it and what's the negatives and positives of that side. So what values do we can pull from that dissenting opinion?
0: When I think about this book as a whole, what did I get from it? like, what is the message really? I mean, it's not, to me, it's not about like, oh, we all need to be original thinkers and nonconformists and all that. I mean, that's, maybe that's one sort of underlying theme, but sure. I, I think the bigger thing is how do you tease out the originality and how do we question our line of thinking? Yeah, I think there's things that we just kind of get through the motions or we're, whether we're influenced by certain people, we just don't put ourselves around uh, or in the frame of mind to just come up with original ideas or, or to act on them. So, I think this this book beautifully described the way in which you can become an original thinker, how others in, around you can become original thinkers, and what that would look like. What would you kind of get from it?
1: It's kind of similar on the long lines of that. I think it's developing yourself that you can, and, and working with your company as well, to develop your employees in a way that they can be more open and more eager to share new ideas. Because I think a lot of people don't like speaking up and kind of voicing an opinion, knowing that it may go against the grain of what everybody else might be thinking so I think it's if you kind of culture that and nurture that. I think that's the more of what I got out of the book is it's cult- cultivating yourself to be a little bit more open, a little bit more outgoing in the ideas or uh, views you have, regardless if they're dis- dissenting or disagreeing ab- opinions. But just be more open in general.
0: So if you give this uh, star rating out of five, what do you what do you give this?
1: You know, I thought about this a lot, and I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a four stars. I I think there's a lot of good things you can take from this book and a lot of things you can realize about yourself and and about being, you know, original. I mean, I guess that's the title of the book. So I liked it. I liked it.
0: I I also give it a four. I actually would have probably rated it higher if it was a tad bit shorter.
1: Yeah, I think there can be a little bit more concise.
0: Well, good stuff, Tyler. Thanks for joining the podcast today. I appreciate it. Have a great time. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business Podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.